Welcome to the Weather Insights Podcast. I'm meteorologist Scott Pitney along with meteorologist Jeff Lindner. Jeff, good evening. Yes, sir. It is election night mm. in the United States of America. Did you do early voting? Absolutely. You, early yeah. voting. Yeah, I didn't. It's the, it's, <laughs> I, like, I like to have my choices available to me. <laughs> that's, that's the smart way to go. I, uh, I waited to the last minute, but uh, I got it done. Got, got my vote in. My vote counted. So uh, here we go. But um, yeah, we're, we're recording this. So on... Um, Tuesday night, November 7th, 2023. It's been a while since we've uh, sat together and chatted, and a lot has gone on with the weather, mainly for us anyway, down here in, in the Houston area. The heat dome is no moss. You know, there's no shortage of weather. No. It, it, it changes all the time. It happens every day. And yes. when you're a meteorologist, whether you work or not, weather no pun intended you're working 24 7. i mean <laughs> absolutely. at least that's what you're expected to do absolutely we don't punch a clock you know it's just weather happens all the time so um yeah so the the heat dome is gone yep. we're getting cold fronts now well, the whole world's getting cold front or the united states and uh, there's snow you know the, the seasons are changing uh football is being played uh of course the uh, uh Major League Baseball ended when the Astros lost, and uh, yeah, what happened there? Yeah, they lost. <laughs> <laughs> they so that so, was not a stellar ending. So did we did we root for the Rangers after the Astros lost, or did we uh, just for monetary purposes? Okay. If you're into that kind of thing, okay. um, I, I don't hold any grudges against the Rangers. Yeah, you know, I, I actually. When they won, I was kind of happy for them. They finally got a World Series because I remember what it felt like for us back in 2017 and um, winning all those championship series, you know, after that. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's good for the city. So good for them. Yeah, good for them. Good for them. But I can't wait to see him next year. And Dusty retired. Dusty retired. Yes, he did. Uh, what a stellar career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, um, did you watch any post- Astro baseball. Did I watch the World Series? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know it's funny you ask. I uh, I did watch games one and two, and then I got busy. Oh. And apparently, so did a lot of other people because <laughs> it wasn't uh, uh, what I heard is it was not well uh, watched. Yes, the ratings uh, I heard were not as good as when the Astros yeah. were playing. So I don't know why, but um, and that's. Just what I hear. I mean, you know, I, I don't follow that kind of but stuff. But hey, the Texans are on the way up. Let's talk some Texans I mean, they're gonna... for a minute. I mean, this is a weather show, but we can yeah. talk sports because weather does affect sports, even in indoor stadiums. Absolutely. I mean, when you got to drive to the game and walk to yeah. the games and all that. But yeah, the uh, the Texans, you know, they look like they were going to be three and five that last 40 seconds, and then boom, they're 500. And, you know, speaking of Dallas, I noticed that the Cowboys, you know, they've, they've been getting a lot of talk. Well, they're two and a half games out of first place in their division, where the Texans are only two games out. Mm, yeah. I think there's something to be said for that. Well, I tell you, it's an, it's a, it's an amazing uh, experience in sport of, of what can happen in 46 seconds. But, you know, 46 seconds in an NFL game is like 10 minutes, so. Oh, yeah. You know, but just, you know, uh, an incredible effort and a really great game. Really great game. Yeah. 
Oh, it was it was awesome. And I understand you were at the game. I was at the game. And what it was, was it like? Being... Well, you know, a lot of people left. Sure. At 50 seconds. Oh, really? Okay. Because <laughs> uh, I think Tampa Tampa Bay made a touchdown and uh, and then, uh, you know, oh, that's it. We're done because we're the Texans. And sure enough. Um, yeah, we were all going crazy. Yeah. Because I think they made the touchdown in 40 seconds, six seconds left. And then, of course, we didn't have a kicker. And, oh, gosh, it was just. Oh, now, oh let's talk <laughs> yeah, about that. Yeah, I, and... I heard he made national news uh, on one of the uh, the big stations. They talked about him. How cool is that? Yeah. I mean, that thing, you know, that ball flight, I mean, that looked like a professional kick. Yeah. That did not look like a wide receiver kicked that football. Yeah, well. I mean, we, we, you, you have to figure out a way to get it done, I guess. Right. Right. Now, were you surprised that they called for a kick because they, they waved going for the extra point and went for two, which made total sense. And they eventually got, they didn't get the two points, but they eventually got the single points by converting the two on the, I think the third try, but on that field goal kick, were you a little surprised they, they made that move and didn't go for it? You know, I, I got, you know, when we when everybody was because I don't remember what quarter it was third or fourth, but we were all there. You know, you're kind of like, oh, give them a chance already. You know, yeah. Because at that point, I think we might have been up. Yeah. And this was a touchdown where we were up, and so hey, we're gonna add either a point or possibly get two or maybe get zero. So I don't know. Um, you know, and then and then you know it all worked out. But you you can look at it. I mean, it was crucial to the win, right? They won by two. So, right, yeah. yeah. Um, and yes, you are listening to the Weather Insights <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so don't turn your channel. Sometimes, sometimes it's the sports insight. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's no shortage of sports podcasts. It's just, it, maybe it's, we just rename it to the Insights well, podcast. It's just, re, yeah, just talk about <laughs> we, whatever we want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there was that. And uh, now... Just a quick note about, since we're talking about football, just one last thing about my Cougars, because mm. that was, you know, U of H was pre-meteorology school. And uh, they, you know, there's not too much to say about them. But the first year in the Big 12, they've had some very exciting games. I will say that. Yeah. Same so, thing with A&M. Uh, yeah. Oh, they're gosh. really, really yeah. great season for them. They're, they're banging it up this year. Yeah. So it's anyway. Typical A&M season. <laughs> uh, well, you want to talk some weather? Yeah. Okay. Whether or not, here we go. Um, where do you want to start? Um, it, it's you know been an active hurricane season. It has been so. You know, I think we've 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 covered this. I don't know when did we start this in July? Yeah, it was like in July, plus or minus, yeah, July or August, in the middle of the death heat. Yeah. Um, and and we had this conversation about is it going to be active or or is it going to be inactive? Because there's a lot there's a lot of back and forth early on about is the is the El Nino going to result in an inactive season uh, or is this super hot Atlantic going to compensate and result in an active season and so well we have our answer now um, you know we still have a month to go tip uh, hurricane season doesn't end actually until November 30th but for the most part this season's probably done you know minus a storm uh, out there but we, we ended up with 20 named storms including uh, a storm in January which made 20. So we had 19 in the season plus one in January. So 20 named storms, uh, seven hurricanes and three major hurricanes. A major hurricane is 115 miles an hour uh, sustained or greater. And so 
you know, and 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 I still kind of because you know I was definitely on the El Nino side, right? I was uh, the the El Nino is going to win out, and I, and I still kind of think El Nino won in some degrees. <laughs> um, if 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 you look at the name storms, yeah, we got the numbers, but they were all you know out in the subtropical ish tropical Atlantic kind of east of the Caribbean, northeast of the Caribbean, and where you would typically expect your uh, El Nino um, detriment to the Atlantic and the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean, it was very quiet. As a matter of fact, we only had two or three storms um, in the Gulf, uh, you know, Adelia in the Florida. We had Tropical Depression number two, like in May, which did nothing. And then we had Harold, which moved into South Texas. So we only had three. Yeah. Um, and minus Adelia, it was really nothing. Yeah. And virtually nothing in the Western Caribbean. Yeah. And so. You know, El Nino kind of won, if you will, in the western part of the basin, the the Gulf of Mexico, the Western Caribbean, uh, the Bahamas, kind of west, if you will, of 75 West. Yeah. Um, and that really protected the U.S. this year. You know, we did, we just didn't have a lot of um, really even threats, minus Adelia. Um, and most of this turned northward out in the Atlantic, a lot of weak, um, high pressure out and around the Bermuda, Azores area that allowed a lot of these systems to turn northward and uh, not pose an impact uh, to really the Caribbean, Bahamas, Central America, or the U.S. coast. So, you know, this is this is a classic, like we always talk about. We, we talk about this all the time at the start of the season. The numbers, if you can have 20, as we see here, and it, it's virtually a non-memorable season for most of us. Um, or, or you can, you, or you can, you can, you can get hit. Yeah, and and that's a memorable season for you. So, we're gonna do, we're gonna keep doing it because that's what we do. Um, and 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 this whole number of name storms at the beginning of the year is such an entrenched portion now of hurricane season preparedness and all that kind of stuff that we're we're gonna keep doing it. But in the whole scheme of things. It's where they go and how bad they are. Yeah, and it doesn't change the preparedness. Oh no, yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, and we've had those seasons with five or six storms, but then you have one monster hurricane, Andrew, for right. example. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, you can see it right here on this map. Very clean over here. Shear a lot of shear during the whole season coming out, you know, off the Pacific, and then uh, and just like you were saying, then you had all the warmer than normal. SST service uh, sea temperatures here, and then the um, um, the weak high allowing that allowing that to turn. Now, Harold, give Harold another twelve or twenty four hours. We could have been looking at something totally different. Yeah, and 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 just for re remember uh, for reminder. Yeah, um, Harold was a tropical storm, a strong tropical storm that went in deep South Texas around uh, Kingsville mm -hmm. uh, back in late. August mm -hmm. um, and really helped with the southern portion of the the state in the valley up in the southwest Texas with the drought um, going on down there you know but up here on I-10 we didn't really get much from from Harold but yeah uh, Harold was really one of those it was getting its act together as it was coming into the coast which they typically do on the south Texas coast you know we've seen this time and time again west or west northwest moving tropical systems approaching Texas the lower Texas coast middle Texas coast tend to spin up because a um the waters are good in that area the shear tends to be light because you're obviously going to have a big high to your north mm -hmm. with that track going on mm -hmm. and then the curvature of the coast 
So mm-hmm. if you look at the Texas coast, it kind of makes a right angle, which if you think about a spinning something spinning, it's it's along the curvature of the coast, so it helps tighten to some degree that, that low-level center as it comes in. But yeah, I, I agree. You give Harold another 12, 24 hours, we've probably been easily looking at a hurricane, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. But thank goodness for the beneficial rain. Mm-hmm. And now... Uh, and now we're all getting it here in Texas. And um, so I, I haven't looked at the latest drought report. I mean, I'm, we're still in, in a lot of areas oh, yeah. still in a drought situation. Yeah, I, I think Lake Travis is still way down. Yeah, 30, 39% or something like that. Right. Or, yeah, so uh, there's still work to be done. But, you know, you get a, a few weeks of fronts moving through and uh, just some training type storms. You know, we, we've got a system coming in for this weekend. I, I don't think it'll be anything like you know, five, six, seven inches of rain, but it could, you know, we, we get uh, uh, the jet hanging out over us and we're in for kind of a cool, damp weekend. And, you know, we've had the, that kind of beneficial rain, that light rain that's a, a, the ground, it's uh, the ground is soaking it in. Right. And we'll talk a little bit more about El Nino um, as we go along here, but uh, you know, this, this what's coming up late Thursday through maybe in the middle of next week, is a very El Nino pattern. You, you, you get that enhanced southern branch, subtropical jet stream, uh, western Gulf of Mexico, coastal trough low, and you just lay the light rain, moderate rain, day after day, locked in the 50s. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't write a more classic El Nino pattern. The question is, does it continue? Because so far, we'll get, and again, I'm getting yep. ahead of myself, but so far, this pattern hasn't really locked in. Yeah, yeah, because October was not that. It was not. There were, you know, some storms that finally came through and started mixing things up. But uh, I don't know what our official rainfall ended up being for October. But I think we're we're about an inch behind. It was below average. Yeah, and five point one in. uh, I don't. I don't know what it was, but I know it was below average. Yeah, and when you're trying to get out of drought, below averaging going to get you out of drought. It's going to help. I mean, obviously, we've we've had made some progress, but if we're trying to actually get out of the drought, we got to have above our rainfall to pull us out. Yeah, yeah. So we shall see what happens. So, um, so that's the Atlantic. Now we had something interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anomaly over in the Pacific. Let's talk about Otis a second. Yeah, let's talk about Otis. Um, Otis couple of things um first cat five to hit the western coast of uh, mexico mm-hmm. and extremely fast intensification mm-hmm. unprecedented in a highly populated area highly of populated. acapulco yeah yeah uh, a million ish people uh which was you know by all means is a major metro location mm. um but just a forecasting nightmare it was i mean you 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 just you you look at you look at that and you look at you know the intensification that happened you look at the forecast failures that we saw in the modeling and you know there's there's obviously going to be a lot of research into why the models the global models didn't at least show something you know there's some hints that otis was so tiny that the global models are too broad and resolution to pick up such a tiny vortex um you know the answer is probably a combination of a lot of things like it is in most of these situations it's not one thing that causes this but 
you know, I think some of it, the intensity was off. So the track was off, you know, it was too far to the left, kind of taking it out to sea because it was weak in the models. And as it began to intensify, it pulled further to the north. Now, I will say some of the regional hurricane models, especially some of the newer ones, um, did catch on on the day that that Otis made landfall. They they were still behind, but they did start to kind of catch on and catch up. Um, and a couple of them were bringing it in at around 145 miles an hour, which was still weak compared to what it came in as. But at least they were catching on to, hey, there's something here. And some of that may have been because of the recon data that was put in there. Mm. Um, but, you know, we can we can talk a little bit about the timeline here because I, I did look at this. Um, and it's not like Otis just happened. You know, it's not like we didn't know it was there. It was it was clearly there because the first advisory was issued at 10 a.m. on the 22nd. Um, so that was Sunday, the 22nd. Mm. And Otis made landfall um, at 1.25 a.m. on the 25th. Mm. Okay, so just short of about 72 hours. Mm -hmm. So this was, a, you know, 72-hour type storm. Mm. The hurricane watch, the tropical storm watches were issued 48 hours out. So again, watches were in place. Yes, it was for a tropical storm, but watches were in place. Mm -hmm. So I would hope at least people knew there was something there. Now they, they weren't expecting a cat five, but Hey, there is a storm out there off the coast. They're paying attention. Hopefully. Well, but, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and then the hurricane warning was issued at 4 AM on the 24th, which is about 21 hours before landfall. Um, but even when that hurricane warning was issued, there was still no big indication that this was going to be more than 75, 80 miles an hour. Mm. Um, and now take Acapulco out of the here, take Acapulco out of this and put Houston in it. Right. And what, what are we, what in the world are we doing with 21 hours of prep time? Houston, New Orleans, any major city, Miami. Yeah. Tampa. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the Hurricane Center said it best. Um, this was a forecasting nightmare um, from so many aspects and, you know, a kind of a spectacular failure, if you will, of the modeling. Um, you know, uh, you know, we have the human forecasters that are looking at stuff and they can see the, the, the forecast that they have put out is starting to go um in a different direction and so you know the, the you can you can play that catch up and you can you can increase the wind speeds but from the time that a, an advisory package or a forecast is issued to the time somebody hears it digests the information and starts making decisions based on what they just heard this was happening so quick you're already changing it yeah you know you're you're, you're saying no now you're looking at a cat two so now you're looking at a cat four and this is happening in the span of hours yeah um well and I, I i you know a lot of people were sleeping when these rapid changes were happening i mean i woke up myself in in acapulco's on central time so it's the same time and i wake up and i what cat five yeah i mean um and you you mentioned the recon flights so there was one recon flight i think they took two passes there's no doppler radar so limited data going into the model how much did that play into this do you think yeah, yeah. 
I don't, you know, this is, this is a great question. This is somebody, a modeler probably more yeah. than, you know, all these folks that are way more advanced in physics and fluid dynamics than me. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I feel the recon was in there mid late morning, I believe mm -hmm. maybe it was into the afternoon. I don't remember exactly, but you know, and it takes a while to get that ingested into the modeling data. You know, it usually takes a good six, six or even 12 hours to ingest that in. So there mm -hmm. wasn't time for that with this particular situation you know, had the recon been out there earlier, and it's not typical for um, U.S. Um, recon to fly Eastern Pacific cyclones unless they think mm -hmm. there's a threat to the coast of Mexico. Yeah. Initially, they did not think there was a threat to the coast of Mexico. Yeah, They thought it was going to stay weak and sheared and well off the coast, and so they didn't mm -hmm. task recon. And and just so everybody understands how this works, you, you, you can't just say, okay, in two hours, you're going to put an Air Force plane out there and fly this. This has mm -hmm. to be planned out, fueled, um, staffing has to be up, appropriated for it and all this kind of stuff. And my assumption is they flew probably from Biloxi on this one. Um, <clears throat> and, and so, you know, if you look at Atlantic Basin and other Eastern Pacific Basin uh, storms, we, we don't have recon a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And the models seem to grasp what's happening to some degree out there. And I, I think a lot of this is because this was so tiny, the global models just didn't see it very well they they, they couldn't um, pick it up very well in, in the pressure field um and you know sometimes we're just going to struggle really um with these rapid intensification phases and this was this was epic i mean this was some of the most rapid intensification we've ever seen um and there's nothing that's that really stood out screaming as to why you know the sea surface temperatures are warm but they're always warm down here yeah um, you know, 83, 84, 85 yeah. degrees. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, the wind shear, there was a little bit of, of weak easterly shear and it kind of abated a little bit because of some technical jet stream stuff that was going on off to the Northwest, which we have seen before with Gulf of Mexico rapid intensifying hurricanes, both Michael and Ian were both in the same pattern where they're in the, where the, where they're in the venting portion or the, the upward motion portion of the, uh, approaching jet. Yeah. And that helped kind of accelerate the development. Yeah. Um, so there's there's probably some stuff that can be researched and looked at and pattern recognition, probably for October hurricanes, late mid September hurricanes when you're interacting with troughs. Yeah. Mid latitude troughs. You're you're obviously probably not going to get that in August. You could. Um, but it's the same exact thing we saw with Michael and Ian. Same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah, and you you can look at that ventilation, perfect ventilation, and you can look at the sea surface temperatures and everything. But still, with that observational data, how can you possibly think that this can go to a Cat Five in in twelve hours? You know, it's just uh, that's I think that's the burning question that yeah. that, that <clears throat> this this thing will be analyzed to death, and for good reason. We, we've got because, as you pointed out earlier, this can happen to a Houston where we get those storms that sort of like this one meandered off the coast. You know, they're they're hung up uh, with a front or something mm -hmm. like that. And then, boom, you just get the perfect scenario and they blow up and and eventually move. Well, you know, Harvey wasn't too far from that. That that was faster, I think, uh, intensified faster than the models. Once it came off the Yucatan, I think it was in four 
broken pieces. And there was a six hour satellite loop where you just saw that thing started twisting up. And I think NAC at the time, you know, going back uh, six years, but uh, NAC at the time was officially saying cat one, maybe by landfall and very quickly changed that to cat three. If I remember mm -hmm. right, I mean, you probably have a better handle. Yeah. I mean, and, and I remember, you know, they were explicit, they were pretty aggressive on the Harvey forecast for the hurricane center they're they're they tend to be conservative um, right but you know honestly what we've seen in the last six or seven years 17 probably maybe started some of this is is these in close rapid intensification leading up to and through landfall um you know a lot of people back in if you remember back to katrina and rita and, and all those other storms Oh, these storms always weaken when they come in. And then Rita and Katrina did weaken. You know, they were mm -hmm. cat big, big honking cat fives out in the Gulf. Mm -hmm. And they kind of became these shells of these hur big hurricanes when they hit the coast. But they, were, they weren't nowhere near what they were at their peak. Yeah. <clears throat> and what we've seen recently is the storms peaking right at um, or right before landfall. Yeah. Which obviously is going to bring devastating impacts to the coast then. Um. But you know, one of the things we haven't talked about with 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 uh, Otis is the million, the population this went into. This went into a million people, yeah, in a highly um, populated small area around a bay um, with mid and high rise hotels all over the place. I think there's something like 600 hotels in Acapulco. I, had, I never knew there were that many. Wow. Um, and we've always kind of wondered what what is it going, what is a high, uh, you know, a 160, 165 Cat 5 wind speed wise going to do to these uh, high rise buildings because wind increases with height. Yeah. So these upper floors were probably easily, easily sustained, you know, 160, 170 gusting. There was a large tornado. You know, who who knows? 200 miles an hour. Right. Mm hmm um and you know so, and i don't know the building codes on the southern coast of mexico i i would think there's some sort of probably earthquake coding down there because they have mm -hmm. earthquakes and stuff like that but obviously hurricanes are not frequent and nothing close to this has ever happened before and when you look at the pictures it's building after building and they're just blown completely through mm -hmm. i mean you can literally look from one side straight through the building to the other side all the contents were blown out of the building. Whatever was in there is all blown through. Um, very similar to what you'd see with storm surge washing through the low floors. Mm. Everything in the upper and mid floors was just shredded and pushed out of the building. So all the glass, all the walls. I mean, the only thing left is concrete and steel yeah. on a lot of these buildings. Yeah. Um, and so very interesting. I mean, I mean imagine that in a, in a major metro U.S. city. It's a mess, yeah. to say the least. And you know, the thing about it is you have heard very little about it. Yeah. This is not a big story. I don't know why, um, but it, there's been very little coverage of this and, and, and likely the humanitarian crisis that is happening on the southern coast of Mexico with this because it's, if, if you're thinking of something as a mid and high rise, uh, imagine the lower uh, lying and, and lower income residential structures and what they look like. And, and there's also topography here. And so winds increase with height. Yeah. And so you were slamming a lot of that wind into the mountains and the mountainsides. And I can't imagine that the, the local 
home stood much of a chance here. Tons of trees and just all kinds of objects to, to fall on homes and that kind of thing. Uh, one, uh, another thing kind of different too is because the water is much deeper approaching the yeah. coast. You know, at least they didn't have to deal with uh, storms or that, that wasn't the big story with this one. But um, the wind, as you pointed out, um, certainly was. And yeah, I mean, Acapulco, it's, uh, it's one of the biggest tourist destinations. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a place that a, a lot of Americans go to. I, I'm frankly surprised there isn't more coverage uh, as well down there. Yeah, because it's, it's uh, going to be a while to get all that cleaned up. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a strange <laughs> phenomenon. Yeah, <clears throat> well, it just goes to show what can happen, and you know we we talk about this all the time. This is this is this is this is a nightmare for us here too. I mean, there's no there's no way to to mince it. If 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 we were to face something like this, uh, we we would be in a world of hurt. Yeah, I mean because. <laughs> you obviously have a, a much better um more insight on this question um but how many people can you get off the coast in that short a period of time in galveston or anywhere you know new orleans anywhere that's highly populated you know the 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 i mean if we if we put if i put myself in the situation and i'm looking at 21 hours the hurricane warning is issued but it's a hurricane warning for a category one. I'm, we're, we're probably still not doing a lot. No. Because a category one hurricane, we don't evacuate a whole lot for. Yeah. So again, the time, the time clock's ticking away and it's so, the window's so short by the time the realization is, oh my goodness. Um, I don't know at that point, it would probably be not the best option to tell people to leave because they're going to get caught in their cars and on the highways and stuff like that. It's it's you're going to have to try to find some of the highest ground to get to ground building, however you want to put it and get up. You just you just got to get up. You know, the only good thing about a lot of these big time rapid intensifying storms is they tend to be very, very small. Yeah. And so these small centers don't bring a lot of water with them. Yeah, because they don't the the storm surge is really a function of a lot of times the wind field, how big that wind field is. And so you can have an Ike, a Cat 2 Hurricane Ike, bring a massive surge and you could have this Otis. And I bet the surge would probably be on the order of six or seven, eight, ten feet at the mm -hmm. max. Mm -hmm. um, so this this would by far be just a, an absolutely devastating, catastrophic wind event for us. Yeah, that we we couldn't even imagine. Yeah. We, it would be very very hard to wrap our heads around what's going to ready to happen to us facing this. Yeah, it, I would think that your mandatory evacuation areas are going to be much smaller because you just don't have time to get that many people out. And like you said, it, it would be a smaller storm, so that's the only thing you have working for you. But then you've got to be very precise in you know, predicting landfall to know exactly where those mandatory areas are going to be. I mean, the best thing we could do at this point, we probably do mandatory West End, mandatory Bolivar. You know, Bolivar can probably get most people out. Um, and, and you're just trying to get people behind the seawall. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's at, at this point, that's what we're doing. We're, we're getting, we're trying to get you off the West End. Yeah. You're so vulnerable down there. Um, and then maybe the Kima Seabrook, Shore Acres area mm -hmm. in Southeast, which is super vulnerable. And, and we're saying, you, you just got to get to Pasadena. 
Yeah. Or Laporte or somewhere up. Yeah. You know, this whole going to Austin, that's all out the window. Right. Because if you're on the road when this hits, I mean, it, this is something that can flip your car off the road. Yeah. I mean, that, these types of winds can move vehicles. And so the last thing we want is is stop traffic on all of our freeways when this comes in. Yeah. Um, and so this is this would be a back of the pad, no plan really. Where are we gonna where are we going to get people to and shelter them and then we'll deal with it after how we yeah. get people out of here because we're obviously after something like this, it's very hard to support normal functions of our daily lives. Yeah. Um, basic services are gone. Yeah. I think that's a great call for Galveston Island. Just get behind the seawall. That's what it's there for. I mean, it's 17 feet. So, um, you know, it's already ridden out quite a few large storms. But, yeah, it's it's all those other areas that aren't so clear, that don't have seawalls, that you you don't have to go super far inland, but in an evacuation situation when the freeways are crowded, and as you said, you know, don't get in any high-profile vehicles. Think about that. You're probably going to get caught in the wind at some point. And, um, yeah, something to think about. So everybody listening, this can happen. This could, this rapid intensification, it has happened, and it could happen to us. I think that's the key message. And this is, this is why we always say anytime there's a storm out there, and, again, there was a storm out there three days before landfall here. Hmm. It's not like this just showed up overnight. There mm-hmm. was a storm out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was weak. But this is why we always say when there's something out there, you have to check back on the forecast frequently. Right. Two, three, four times a day. Uh, the advisory packages are issued every six hours. 10, 4, 10, 4. You check back at those times for the mm-hmm. latest information. Um, from trusted <clears throat> sources, yeah. not from social media. Yeah. Yeah. Well, trust. social media be going... <laughs> I mean, they couldn't even make this one up. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, uh, be interesting to see what what comes of this, um, the studies from this this storm and how it's applied to future planning for for other big metropolitan areas. Well, we uh, dabbled into climate a little bit earlier. Shall we jump back into outlooks yes and uh el nino yes all right let's do it well it's still there yeah el nino's still there <laughs> um it hadn't gone away um and and again el nino is just the the warming of the the sea surface temperatures out in the eastern and central pacific and so we we earlier in the summer we had a lot of warming uh, positive anomalies four or five degrees off the coast of south america what we call nino region one and two so this is south of, of uh, the Mexican coast and <clears throat> west of the South American coast. And that region has kind of cooled a little bit in the, the stronger positive anomalies, plus 1.5-ish, maybe getting up around two, have shifted a little bit further to the, to the west toward the Central Pacific. And so this El Nino is uh, translating or developing, if you will, as we're going through it, obviously. Um, but one of the things that has not has been very slow is the water's hot, but there's something called the 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 in, to simplify this the Nino index, and, uh, and I'm going to just use those words, mm. and that's the coupling of the sea surface, the warm sea surface, with the atmosphere. And so, 
you get all this warm water and it changes where thunderstorms develop and it changes pressures and all this kind of stuff. And so it changes the orientation of jet streams and the high pressures and low pressures. And that's the part of this that, that we've been sort of missing um, up until very recently. And so we haven't seen, especially here in Houston, Texas, Southern Plains, a very traditional El Nino response this fall so far. You know, typically an El Nino October here would be relatively wet and cool. And we didn't really have that. We had one sort of episode there uh, before Halloween where we got wet and, you know, a decent cold spell. Mm-hmm. Um, but that seems to be starting to change now. We're seeing that index increasingly indicate that the atmosphere is coupling very well with this El Nino. And I, and I think going forward, especially here into November and December, we're going to see that southern branch storm track become more active, the subtropical jet become more active. And that's where we start to get the the systems that come down through here and the uh, increasing potential for more widespread wetting rainfall. And, and, you know, it's not so much, you know, I've heard so many people between the acorns falling and the squirrels having extra fur and their dogs shedding hair that this winter is going to be, you know, so, so cold down here. And I just, I don't, I don't know if I see that El Nino tends to be cool, but not the, 21 winter storm cold because um it's a lot of days that are cloudy and in the 40s and 50s and if you're cloudy you're not gonna get that cold at night so the lows are in the 40s the highs are in the 40s and it's drizzly and foggy and light rain and and if you want to get out of a drought that's what we need um but you know can i rule out a, a you know an ice storm absolutely not i think i think this year supports ice kind of a freezing rain, because if you think about the warm air coming up from the subtropics, that's not a very favorable snow pattern. Um, And so you get this overrunning and you get a really shallow layer of cold air near the surface. That's freezing rain. That's an ice pattern for us. Um, And so I, you know, it's how people look at it. Oh, it's a bad winter because we had an ice storm. Okay. Um, That's one way to look at it. I look at a bad winter 21 where your pipes are breaking and you're without power for four days. That's a bad winter to me. Yeah. Um, and so I don't necessarily see if a big, if I see these big Arctic outbreaks this winter. And I think a lot of, if the Arctic tries to come down, it's going to be pushed East with the, with the flow, um, from the Southwest and the, in the subtropics. And so rainy, cold, dreary, depressing. That's, that's probably the winter. Yeah. The winter outlook. When do you think you'll 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 hear the first man? I'm sick of this rain, Jeff. Well, I've already heard, and I couldn't believe it. I already heard last week, walking in to pick up my kid at school, it's too cold, and I just I couldn't help myself. I, I popped right around and I said, "Well, it was 109 like three times in September." So I, I feel like you've had your heat yeah. opportunities. Um, and can we let the rest of us enjoy um, a break and, and let our air conditioners enjoy a break? Yeah. Those um, of us that look at the weather every day and remember quite well July and August, yeah, this is this is nice. Well, it's amazing that it's like it's already forgotten. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like it's like we it just it didn't even happen. Yeah. And I'm like, this was horrid. It was absolutely horrible. Yeah. I mean, it was every bit. If not, and I think it was, in fact, warmer than 2011. Yeah. And I mean, that's a bench, that is a benchmark that is hard to beat, and yeah. we beat it. And you don't want to beat it. 
<sighs> Nobody, so. no, yeah. It, it, I was, we were in Scandinavia the first uh, two weeks of August and it rained and it was, it never got above 73. It was mostly in the high 60s most of the time. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Most people would call that miserable weather, but, it, you know, not coming out of the summer that we just had. So, uh, yeah, and I, I get questions like, hey, I heard there's going to be a big, you know, people will want to know, I heard there's going to be a big ice storm or a specific, you know, storm in January or where around they, Christmas. I, I, where, where are they hearing it from? I don't know. <laughs> Who's where? saying this stuff? <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, like you said earlier, you know, you, th this is why you've got to watch the weather every day. Th these are climate, these are trends when it's all said and done over a large period of time. But weather is... You know, it it happens now. It's uh, and it changes all the time. And you know, models get fed data and they change. So that's why you got to check in all the time. Well, the the big one that I've been I just because there's a story last night in the news about it is the acorns. The, <laughs> yes. the trees have been dropping all these acorns. It's the worst thing ever, and it's it has really no function looking forward. It's they were stressed so heavily during the drought and the heat. We had the same thing back in 2011. Hmm. And they had a horticulturist on there, and he said the same thing. And you know, but people people equate pecans and I guess acorn. I don't know what else falls from our trees around here. Um, from to 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 produce these winter these horrible winters, and it's actually the other way around. It was the horrible summer that the tree thinks it's going to die, so it's producing all of this to continue its life with other trees. It's trying to reproduce. I feel like I'm. <laughs> <laughs> well you got me thinking. i don't even know what i'm saying anymore well no i uh are you an almanac guy no no <laughs> somebody gave me an no. almanac for my birthday i'm like that's kind of insulting to a meteorologist no <laughs> but i'm gonna read it because no. i just want to know what's in there i've never well read one. you know the the reason why i can't i just can't get behind it is because it's it's so wishy-washy and vague it's like southern plains is going to be cold with bouts of rain and a possible ice well that's any yeah. winter <laughs> you could say that any winter or summer is going to be hot with a thunderstorm and maybe a tropical threat that's every summer yeah. in texas and so there's nothing really to me in there that's not far off of climatology yeah well i i didn't i literally i don't know the last time I've ever read a page from the almanac, I have no idea what's in there, but I, I just, I figured it was stuff like that. So I'm going to find out. Maybe we'll talk about it on the next podcast. Well, we could just read it. Yeah. We could just <laughs> we'll, pull it out we'll and do read it. it. That'll be a segment on the show. The almanac, the almanac versus science. Yeah. And then we should go back and read the month before. Yes. See how it did. Yeah. Yeah. What, what were the observations compared to the almanac versus the Mets? I, well, I guarantee it's going to be right. Because it's so vague. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Well, yeah. in meteorology, we use a lot of fuzzy words. That's true. And uh, no absolutes. The, the almanac is full of fuzzy words. <laughs> yeah. Never any absolutes. Always maybe, might, probably, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. tune, tune in tomorrow. That's what we say on TV. <laughs> tune in tomorrow. We'll have all the answers. <laughs> we'll have a much better idea tomorrow. Check back. Uh, all right, so we got this little guy here from the. Uh, by the way, I, CPC. That, that, that yeah, uh, just for um, you know, uh, the image we were looking at of Otis that was courtesy of yellclimate.org. 
by the way. Okay, I got you covered, y'all. Um, so yeah, this is CPC. Near normal, this is for the next uh, yeah, December to February, three-month period. Yeah, near normal temperatures or a 30 to 40% chance will be near normal temperatures. These are not absolutes, of course. Um, and uh, wetter than normal Yeah, for us. Yeah. Above normal precipitation. Well, I, think well, I can't. I'm having a hard time in my older age now seeing. <laughs> I think it, it's showing a 30 to 40 percent chance. Yes. Of above average precipitation, and and so right. you know, let's let's talk about this for a second because it's not as it's not. Oh, I'm green. So that means we're going to flood. That's not what this means. Uh, what this means is your normal monthly precipitation. Oh, your precipitation for these three months is likely to be 40, 50 percent, maybe 60 percent. Uh, chance of being above that right so if we get two or three inches of rain in january there's a 50 to 60 percent chance we're going to get above two to three inches of rain this is this is how you describe this graphic or what it means of course people just look at it like oh that looks bad <laughs> well now that i've gotten it large and, and i can read it yeah. as well <laughs> <laughs> that was part of the problem i i mean i've done this on t well not on tv but for the station social media uh the these reports but um so i knew it was a percentage chance it doesn't mean it's going to be wetter it means there's a chance it's going to be wetter or equal to well it, it says it right there where there's no color equal chances but for our area houston it's in this 50 to 60 percent chance that'll be above normal precipitation yes. for the period of december uh through, through february february yeah. of 24 yeah issued uh october 19th so uh you know i'd like to see those probabilities a little bit further west um mm -hmm. deeper into the state you know this well, i guess some of this florida action here. yeah some of yeah. the higher chances you know what what worries me a little bit here is you, you're not seeing you're seeing kind of equal chances in the southwest u.s along the mexican border your tip more typical wetter el ninos tend to have a storm track southern california through the southwest across texas and through the southeast and so the fact that this storm track possibly just looking at this graphic is a little bit further to the north um does make me pause a bit and then the what looks to be a very suppressed subtropical jet further to our south and east so we don't want we don't want stuff to miss us out in the gulf right and get us act together further east and so you know i i think we'll definitely get rain you know good rains this winter is it enough to bring something like lake travis up to full pool or even into their flood pool we'll see um but this is we're definitely going in the right direction and el nino is still going to be around in the spring you know yeah. it's not it's not going to be completely gone if if it trends in that direction march april may and that's when we can really get wet yeah and that's when we can have big big rains and so you know i still think at some point between now and next summer we're probably going to end up facing um some flood risk uh here in the state of texas yeah with with, with this pattern yeah yeah i was looking uh or maybe i said at the beginning 80 percent chance that we'll, we'll see el nino like conditions what did i see that uh There it is. Yeah. Through May. Yeah. Through May. So that, that'll be interesting. Yeah. When spring gets here and we start seeing that, um, and we, you know, saw it with this system coming in this week, the early yesterday, I believe the QPF model showed a lot of the rain missing us south, the heavier rain missing us south, but that got adjusted today 
and we're a little bit more in line, but we'll see. It'll probably adjust again tomorrow morning. So, um, so we talked about that. Temperatures, well, eh. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not as big on the temperature. I mean, this is another classic Enso look. You know, warm to the north, mm -hmm. cool, coolish to the south. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll just have to see how many of those cloudy, dreary days we get. Yeah, um, and you got to remember these are averages. So a sunny 85 averages mm -hmm. out with a cloudy 45. Yeah, and when you when you take these month or three month averages, um, there can be lots of ups and downs in there. Yeah, it's just do you get more of the cloudy and 45s? um 50 degree days um and it and it brings your average down a little bit you know it's been a while since we've seen winter like that we've been in la nina warm winters um for the last few years minus our big arctic outbreaks yeah okay i know people will say oh 21 i'm like yes but if you look at 21 minus a week in february the whole winter was hot yeah you know um and so we'll we'll see this is this is kind of the opposite of that it's the whole winter is probably going to be coolish and cloudy and clammy and rainy hmm. um and the and the 85 or 80 degree days are probably going to be more rare and sunny yeah they're probably going to be more rare this winter so don't get mad at your weatherman when it's 85 degrees on christmas day and you say i thought it was going to be cooler it's an average <laughs> sorry right, on the 26th it'll be 40. <laughs> yeah right uh um let's see where are we headed now? Or you know, one thing I will that we, we, we didn't really talk about is yeah. this type of pattern tends to support severe weather down here in the winter months. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you, most people don't think of severe weather, tornadoes, high winds, hail mm -hmm. in December, January, February. But with that enhanced jet stream, that can lead to uh, a lot of wind energy aloft um, that can bring some squall lines and stuff like that through here. So, you know, we haven't dealt with severe weather and I don't even know when. 1992, the Channel View. We had that in, in, in November. November of 92. Um, the mini severe weather season. You think, we're, well, we're only a couple of weeks from when that happened back yeah, in 92. The 21st, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Was 92 a it was, Nino? Or, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, the jet was low and, and the lows were coming out of Baja and tracking you know, just like they would in the Midwest in the springtime. Yeah. So, so we have to we have to be careful um, and and watch for that um, because we we can get we can get severe weather down yeah. here um, in these types of years and like I said we just haven't dealt with a lot of this recently you know mm. this past spring we were fairly fortunate we didn't have a lot uh, I think the worst we had this summer was the thunderstorm up by Intercontinental that produced ninety seven mile an hour winds yeah and, you know that was really our only severe episode we even had all summer yeah um, and so it's been a while mm. since we've had damaging winds. Little, these little weak spin up tornadoes, you have zero tornado things, um, and hail. But this is certainly the type of pattern that that can produce that as mm -hmm. as we go further along. And don't be fooled because it's not hot outside. Yeah, you know you can get you can get severe weather even if it's kind of coolish. Look at your dew points. Your dew points will tell you a lot. Although this front coming through this weekend, we're not getting a lot of the rain is on the backside of this front. Yeah, it, it's it, not yeah. it's not that front that's you know coming in and lifting everything no it's it's, yeah. it's shallow you know again just like the the halloween front it's very shallow yeah. again very typical of el nino shallow cold air at the surface mm -hmm. overrun mm -hmm. or the warm air coming up over top of it mm -hmm. um behind the front so you get a lot of your rain in the post frontal air mass where it's cold 
Yeah. Um, which really does cut down on the severe threat and also can cut down on the heavy rainfall threat, but it can lead to a lot of widespread light, moderate rain. And that, that seems to be kind of the trend in the globals this afternoon for Thursday night and Friday morning. Although I will say some of them are, were hammering away at that area between Houston and Victoria for some big rains. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the, the regional smaller scale models say tomorrow for it. Yeah, that that did not change on QPF. I mentioned QPF changed for our area, but southwest of here, that stayed the same. Victoria, Crossroads area, that that's still in a heavy rain as far as QPF models going. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, yeah, a, you know, decent chance of rain, at least 30, 40% for the next week. You know, best chance uh, is when the front passes. Yeah, a yeah. lot a lot will depend this weekend on this coastal coastal trough flow that forms and how far the front gets off the coast. If, yeah. it, if it gets too far off the coast, we'll, the dry air will win out. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. We'll probably end up being dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and the models have kind of been back and forth on it. You know, one run they'll say, oh, we're going to be dry. And the next run they hang the front up 30 miles off the coast and we end up wet this weekend. Yeah. So. We will know for sure when we know for sure. <laughs> You'll know Saturday morning when you wake up. By the next podcast, yeah. we will know. We, yeah. we will have all the answers by the end. Speaking of the next podcast. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't want to let alleged, the cat, alleged. I, uh, alleged. I don't want to let the you cat just leave out it of, at that. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, but tune in. It's going to be great. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's going to be great. So thanks for listening, everybody. Jeff, always good to see you. Always fun to chat with you. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, you know, it's, I don't know if we'll, we'll do another one before Thanksgiving or not, but if we don't, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, I'd like to. I mean, uh, it's kind of the slow time for me, yeah. so I don't know about you. Well, well, you, well weather, <laughs> as we said earlier, <laughs> weather determines whether your days are slow or not, so we'll, we'll have to see, but uh, I'm down. <laughs> well, we should try to at least do one sometime before December. That sounds And, and then you got get the, the, the holidays in there. Things get busy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because I know sure. we're we're going to be invited to a lot of Christmas parties, you and me. Oh, for sure. Because, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> um, no, it's it's always a, a lot of fun. So, uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll uh, catch you on the next one.